Look, there's no such thing as a good podcast ad, but we're going to try. I'm Paul. And I'm Josh. We're from Nostalgia Entertainment System, the show about remembering things. Each week, we dive into a different topic, like Power Rangers. Are you talking about A4? The, the Alpha 5. <laughs> RuneScape. I or, could never get just... into World 1 because it was always full. And even candy. How many market tests do you need to do with Skittles, right? Skittles yeah. have been around for so long. New episodes every Monday. Nostalgia Entertainment System. Check it out wherever your pods are cast. Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. You have to figure out what your firm knows are first before you can do like the improv yes and. Mm. Um, it's really important to establish, and I think this applies to like doing community management or being a content creator or anything. I I really value figuring out what is off limits first. Mm -hmm. And then you're able to move more authentically from there. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. And Spencer, I am so excited to be back here with you today after our extra long break away. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, listeners. Yeah, sorry, listeners. You know, life happens, people get sick, and, you know, we had they to take do. an extra week off uh, and last week. they get well again. They do. They do. Uh, and so, yeah, we're very happy to be back with you after a slightly longer break than usual. And thank you all for your patience. Um, and hopefully this one will be worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Now I'm giving myself anxiety. Let's start as we always do with our Patreon shout outs. This is our special thank you to everyone who subscribed at our Patreon name in the credits tier for the month of April. Today, we'd like to say a very big thank you to Val, Genevieve, Lindsay, Grace, Jackie, Ben, Pimatai, and Adianka. Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can subscribe for as little as just $2 a month and get access to our monthly bonus series, Co-op Mode. In our April episode, Spencer and I uh, tried to convince everybody to subscribe to Apple TV Plus <laughs> so you can watch the fantastic show that is severance among others among others yes there was a whole list presented we really made the case <laughs> <laughs> anyway if you're a fan of what we do here on pixel therapy please consider sharing us with your friends and family rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts or you can even write into the show by emailing us at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com we would love to hear from you if you have a moment drop us a little message if not that's okay you can just listen to us continue to ramble on yeah we <laughs> about appreciate the your silent support like a warm <laughs> hand on our shoulder exactly yes <laughs> <laughs> all right folks it's time to get cozy pull up an armchair feel free to lie down on the couch we're going to talk about our feelings spencer how you doing today <laughs> jamie thanks for asking feels good to <laughs> respond to that after a couple of 
week break. Um, well, and we both like, we were checking in earlier this week and it was like, I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever. And forever for us is like two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> Can it's we long. more than a week? It's a long time for us. We don't have more than a couple days usually without yeah. at least a little ping. A little at least digital a, calm. A little, hey, what's up, buddy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how you doing? And uh, I was going to say earlier when you were talking about how, uh, you know, it's been one more week than usual. We're, we kind of pushed our schedule forward a week. So it feels like we're in the multiverse and we're now in a different reality. So there's yeah. a whole new world of podcasting we've entered together, folks. Yeah, though all the weeks have changed now and all the episode releases have changed. And we just, yeah. The timeline is forever shifted. <laughs> forever shifted. I moved all of the Asana deadlines, <laughs> all of the Google Calendar notes. Everything's been shifted. That yeah. reminds me, how was the new Doctor Strange movie that you saw yesterday? Uh, it was, I, okay, good. I would say it's like eight, like low A slash high B tier for MCU. So it's a bit more of a, for me Mm. personally, I, it was definitely, it was bananas. I left the theater and I was just like, that was wild, right? (laughs) That movie was a roller coaster. It was, I, I liked it for the fact that at every point in the movie that I was like, oh, okay, this we're going to settle down for a second and this is what's going to happen. Mm. And I was dead wrong every single time. I thought I knew what was coming next. Um, the movie did not stop. Damn. It was okay. like two hours of just constant nonstop. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And so I appreciate it for that. But I don't know if I fully loved everything that they did with mm. the characters. Mm. Was it like the Fast and Furious of the MCU? (laughs) That, (laughs) maybe, (laughs) maybe, except, yeah, I don't know. Fast and Furious probably feels less grounded, which Mm -hmm. is really saying something, because this movie was all over the place. That's generous, Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I did not like it. I'm, I'm excited to see, like, I'll watch it again when it comes out to streaming, and, mm. and then I'll probably have, like, my final opinion of it. Um, but I think I came into this with really high expectations. I don't know if it hit those. Mm. Um, you know, kind of coming off of No Way Home being, like, mm. one of my favorite... Such a great movie. ...Marvel movies, period. Um, this is definitely a step down from mm. from that. But a step up from like Eternals probably and and I I liked Eternals for what it was but Mm -hmm. yeah like Eternals is solid mid-tier Marvel in my opinion Mm -hmm. I think this is probably a bit better than that it's funny I was just talking to a friend about how and I'm curious for your take on this about how um at least for me personally and just in terms of sheer wow factor and interesting fight scenes and really mind-blowing like action. I love the way Doctor Strange fights. Like I'm so interested in any story that he's involved in for the sheer craziness of what's about to take place. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find him sort of harder to connect with emotionally as a character. I'm sure a lot of that is intentional. Like not every hero needs to be likable. Um, Mm -hmm. And with Steven, it's like he's He's very arrogant. He is, uh, he can be, he can keep people at arm's length. He can be a know-it-all and sort of hard to relate to and condescending. Um, but, oh man, I don't want to spoil anything, but especially his relationship with Peter Parker and how that evolved in Spider-Man mm-hmm. No Way Home. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's almost like because he's so um, emotionally withholding those moments where you do see a little bit of humanity just hit so much harder. Yeah. Um, But I'm curious, like from a movie perspective, um, how much of your takeaway from the movie was informed by like how you feel about him as a character? Like, like, like how do you feel about his movies compared to the others in that way? I, I think you're, you're, and yeah, sorry, this is now an MCU podcast. So <laughs> anyone who wanted to hear us talk about video games. Uh, also, I don't know how upfront we've been about my like MCU is like weird comfort food to me. And I like watch a lot of it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I don't think we've been, I don't think we're out as MCU fans. Oh, yeah, so right. there it is. That's right. That's, there that's it is. out there now. There it is. Uh, unsubscribe. <laughs> you're unsubscribed in now, folks. Uh, no, but I, th- I think you're right that as, Stephen Strange is like definitely a an arrogant character who's harder to connect with. Um, I, I and s- same as you, I love the way that he fights and the way they visualize that. I think it's just so cool looking. Um, I think that this movie actually made him the most relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Multiverse of Madness actually like makes him more relatable than he has been in other films. I think his narrative arc in this film is pretty good, mm-hmm. actually. And I liked what they did with him as a character. I think he comes into the movie feeling like somebody who's been taken down a peg a little bit by the events of uh, No Way Home. Um and then we kind of get to explore that. Um, a lot of the film is about him kind of reckoning with who he is. Mm. Um, because as they traverse the multiverse, which I don't think is spoilery to say, they're they're going to go through the multiverse. And he's going to, he encounters um, the ramifications of the actions that other versions of himself have taken. And I think it's a movie about him understanding who he is. And also kind of, a, even though they're doing this through the lens of like, other versions of yourself did X, Y, or Z. I also think it's a film that's kind of about like our, our past actions Mm. don't have to define who we are today. Mm. Like outside of like, you know, you can still make new choices. Um, so I think all of that really resonated, honestly, where, where the movie missed the mark a bit for me is, uh, with some of the stuff that they did, what they chose to do with Wanda, um, mm. the Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. as well as the new character that they introduce in the film that I don't think has shown up too much in the trailers, so I don't want to spoil much there. Right. Um, there, I just wanted a bit more uh, from both of those characters, and this was definitely, at the end of the day, a Doctor Strange film, mm. uh, for better or worse, and a Sam Raimi film, for better or worse. <laughs> oh, wow, I forgot about <clears throat> that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it really focuses on him and his journey. Mm. And while I didn't hate what they chose to do with Scarlet Witch, I wish we had gotten, I don't know. I think I, I, I just like her more as a character. I think I would have been more interested in getting to see the story more from her perspective, but it is what it is. And I didn't, I didn't not like it. Word. Yeah. I would say I identify as somewhat of an unwilling Marvel fan. I live with folks who are very big Marvel fans. And as Jamie alluded to, um, she's a big Marvel fan, too. <laughs> and uh, over the course of 2021, I was subjected to watching all of the Marvel films in, con- you down. in story order <laughs> over the course of like a month and a half. Um, and, you know, at this point, it's like, it's familiar. Uh, mm-hmm. I know a lot more about what everybody's talking about. So I've, I've warmed to it, I'd say. And I, <laughs> and I think I'm a much 
I'm connecting a lot more with sort of this next generation of characters. Mm, mm-hmm. um, like for folks, just for more context, it's like, you know, Marvel movies have been coming out now for like over 10 years. Yeah. And like the first gen was like Iron Man, Hulk, uh, Black Widow, like Captain America, Captain America, those guys. Um, and now we're sort of getting into this, uh, I would say more diverse and some ways more interesting um, in terms of like storyline and, and age variants and uh, just, I don't know. I think more and more the Marvel universe is reflecting uh, more and more of the diversity of its fans and, Mm -hmm. and kind of what folks have been asking for. And so I'm warming up to it. I'm seeing more and more of myself in the sh- and relating to more and more with each of the releases. Not that I have to relate in order to connect with a piece of media, <laughs> but y'all know what I'm saying, <laughs> what, I'm, yeah, what I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah. So anyway, um, as Jamie mentioned, this is not a Marvel podcast. Uh, so I suppose we ought to talk about some video games. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Twist our arm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Spencer, you and I have been playing a little game that came out earlier this week called Citizen Sleeper. Uh, this is a game that came out May 5th. Uh, it is on PC, Mac, Switch, and Xbox. It's developed by Jump Over the Age, which is a one-person game development studio founded by Gareth Damian Martin. And their first game, In Other Waters, actually won the Jury Prix at Indiecade Europe mm. uh, and got a lot of praise from critics. Um, so they were coming into the second game already being uh, someone that critics had an eye on. I kind of heard about the game from folks who were keeping an eye on mm-hmm. Gareth and and were interested to see what they were going to put out next. And so, yeah, so now we've got Citizen Sleeper. We've both been playing it. I would say I've probably put like seven or maybe eight hours into it. How mm-hmm. how far mm-hmm. would you say you're in? Like five. Okay. Five to six, uh, yeah. All right. And Citizen Sleeper is, uh, it describes itself as role-playing in the ruins of interplanetary capitalism. Mm. Live the life of an escaped worker washed up on a lawless station on the edge of an interstellar society. Inspired by the flexibility and freedom of TTRPGs, explore the station, choose your friends, escape your past, and change your future. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great it's a great little write up. Um, The game is essentially it's a role playing game uh, that, as that write up says, is really uh, receives a lot of influence from tabletop RPGs in which you're kind of developing a narrative and, and playing that through. It even goes so far as to feature uh, dice in Mm. the game um, that you use to take actions throughout the day. And when you run out of dice, you have to, you're the, what they, they call them cycles in the game because the game's set on a space station. Um, but that ends the cycle and you have to go rest and wake up the next day to get a fresh hand of dice and, uh, go about your day and take actions. Um, the sort of initial premise of the game is that you are a thing person known as a, a sleeper a thing a person a you're thing, an android <laughs> i know exactly right so well and a huge part of what this game <laughs> is doing is talking about like what makes you a person mm. um and who deserves autonomy uh but you are an android uh known as a sleeper which is a machine that has had a human brain emulated onto it mm. um to run it and it functions as its own separate thing. The human individual who had their brain emulate, emulated is not in control of the sleeper in any way. 
Um, but from what I've been able to glean, at least so far from where I'm at in the story, it sounds like the human, the person does this and actually goes into stasis when they do this, when they emulate their brain. Uh. The sleeper is sent out into the world. I think the human gets some form of payment for this and a corporation is able to utilize the sleeper for work like as a laborer for a set period of time. So is the person, is the original body just vibing in a matrix style pod or like that? That's what it sounds like. So I, I actually, um, I'm still trying to fully understand how this works, but I met a character in kind of the mid game who kind of talks to you a bit about w- what you are and how you got there. And he has this line here that I'll read real quick. He says, the past you is not just an idea, a concept for you. It is a living, breathing person. You split from them like a shadow splitting from its caster. They may be sleeping now, yes, but one day they will awake and carry on with their lives unaware of your fate, no matter what yours is. You're a branch severed from the main trunk, an offshoot who refuses to die, so to speak. Whoa. Okay, severance. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Kind of. So it sounds like the, and and I know that the person who uh, lets their brain be emulated gets money for this. Mm. And we understand that as a sleeper, you are being used for as a laborer by a corporation, kind of like being taken advantage of to a certain point because the the corporation that gets named here that uses these sleepers is called SNARP. And they actually designed the Android bodies to be perpetually breaking down so that the sleepers are reliant on a drug that is also produced by SNCARP that they have to keep injecting on a regular basis to maintain the condition of their bodies. And all that's kind of a system that's created to keep the sleepers from leaving their work post. Mm -hmm. But you, the main player character, are a sleeper who actually managed to escape. Uh, You stored yourself in a cargo bay of a ship and ended up on the space station at kind of the edge of the settled galaxy. Yeah, I have a, a a quick quote here from the from the beginning of the game, just to kind of give a sense of more of the feel and narrative tone. Um, the game tells you when you're first waking up, you remember that there were 10 of you, 10 that could no longer stand the indentured work, the routines, the slow decay, 10 whose belief in their promised future was slowly dismantled day by day until they realized they had sold away everything that could and would ever matter, 10 that would escape or at least die trying. Um, So this whole idea of this Apple-esque planned obsolescence of your body where you need a uh, specific and proprietary serum in order to keep it going um, is very scary. Um, and yeah, like Jamie said, um, it's just just this really fascinating premise of like, as corporations continue creeping and buying up all of the things that can be owned and to help you build independence and build stability and build your own power under capitalism. When all of that gets, gets privatized and turned into a commodity, even your body, um, how far people, uh, especially workers, uh, are forced to go to serve this soulless monster. Uh, it's like a, it, the settings, like it's something that's within reach, right? Like this yeah. is a, I would say the game is cyberpunk, right? Yeah. Uh, and like slightly dystopian, but it feels very uh, like this could be us within a hundred years, mm-hmm. right? This could be the society that we exist 
within just drawn out into the future. It doesn't feel so far blown from what we know in modern life to be out of the realm of very direct possibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Cause I, I think what makes this game uh, so immediately special to me and something that I want to keep playing is because it presents this, what we'd call dystopian world, but it also has this thread of hope running through mm-hmm. it. Like, I think maybe we can, we can transition to talking a bit about um, the place where your main character finds themselves as they wake up. And, yeah. and, um, but the reason I, and I, and I think it'll be cool to get into that is because just the very, place like uh the circumstances under which it came to be and the types of people here like it like the game almost sort of has this acceptance of like this is what the world could be hurtling towards but that doesn't mean that humanity uh is necessarily snuffed out like they can they can take everything away from us even our bodies but they still can't can't control uh, the very core thing that makes us who we are. I think that mm-hmm. that theme kind of ha- it was also felt in Norco, a recent game that we played that was kind of about the encroaching techno capitalism. And mm-hmm. um, but I would say this one is a little leaning less on the grotesque and a bit more on the cyberpunk punkness of of daring to survive through this kind of world. Yeah, I think I would. So, you know, having just re- like we both recently played Norco, it's yes. the last thing that we talked about on the podcast. And so I was definitely, and that, and Norco is also, while not, Norco's less of an RPG and like mm. slash not an RPG. Of course. Yes. Uh, more of a point and click adventure. And I think this game has point and click elements, but brings more RPG elements into it. But there's a lot of similarities to the way the games are presented and also a lot of the themes that the games are exploring. So I think it's a, a relevant thing to compare this game to. And I did find, I have found myself, uh, you know, neither of us have finished Citizen Sleeper yet, but I am finding Citizen Sleeper to feel more on its sleeve hopeful Mm. than I think Norco is. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with the, well, the setting for one thing, I think Norco is very much set in a place that is actively dying and decaying Mm. and is set more like, before things have kind of turned a corner into building something new and and citizen sleeper is set uh kind of in in a place that's not that is like not thriving but is robust and diverse and there's lots of people living here existing coexisting and there's a lot of a variety of folks trying to achieve different goals for yeah. their set for themselves for their community it feels more um vibrant yeah in a way that Norco felt like you were watching something crumble. Yeah. Um, so this there's is that. like that shoot pushing up through the <laughs> exactly, concrete, yeah. still struggling towards the light, but it's 100%. on its way. <laughs> so that, that definitely gives it a sense of more hope. But I also think in Citizen Sleeper, despite us really not, our character isn't given a name. Mm-hmm. Aside from knowing like what they've done, which is to try to escape, you don't have a lot of sense of personality or motivation or even mm-hmm. history to this character that you're playing as, which I would say is uh, really opposite to Norco, where 
while the main character of Kay is really not given much, uh, you don't have much insight into her head, you know a lot about her history. Like, you know a lot of who she is coming into the game. But she also feels very apathetic to a lot of what's happening around her. And in Citizen Sleeper, the main character is very actively trying to get away from the oppression that they have been facing mm-hmm. and they're actively trying to build something new for themselves. And mm-hmm. I think that those, that difference in perspective really lends to this, you know, the Norco feeling it, again, Norco still has, there is still hope running through Norco, but it's very uh, enmeshed in an inevitable yes, demise. decline, yes. demise and like finding hope in the little things that we can grasp along the way mm-hmm. where a citizen sleeper feels much more like, overly overtly optimistic Mm -hmm. about where we could see ourselves going despite there being a lot of negative influence and system and corruption completely Mm -hmm. yeah so so hopefully i didn't derail (laughs) the point you were making but yeah like take us through some of the Mm -hmm. the world building like where are we at in citizen sleeper what's the what's the vibe yeah um so you essentially wake up in a shipping container on a huge space station that is populated by folks um, who are sort of the who are sort of this civilization that's coming up uh, after a basically a union overthrew these corporate overloads that overlords that were running this space station um, have democratized it split it up into different almost like neighborhoods um, you can do anything from go to a bar to the shipyard to other areas to find work. Um, there's all sorts of folks that you can build relationships with, and it really takes on this feel of this independent community. There's commerce, there's art, there's, you know, rough and tumble areas, and there's bright spots and really interesting people. And so you've kind of landed on this island of misfits <laughs> who, like you, um, maybe are running away from their past, maybe have uncertain futures. Um, but for this moment in time, there's uh, this sort of sort of solidarity amongst um, the working class who have been oppressed by just base corporations. <laughs> Anything you want to add to that? <laughs> no, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. I think something, too, that I really like about the game and this dynamic between this person and this place is that um, as Jamie was sort of framing at the beginning of our conversation, um, there's this element of, of time and, and resource management baked into the game. You are in a body that without specific supplements will break down over time. And you see that as uh, a bar that as each, each cycle renews each day, um, this body is depleting slowly and and will eventually need to be replenished with this serum. You also have a hunger bar um, because you are still like a person, like you're in a Mm -hmm. synthetic body, um, but it's still like biotechnology. So you need to eat, you need to drink. um, And so you have a bar that, uh, that signifies that as well. Um, And then you have your dice, um, basically a set of actions um, or like energy basically that you can do throughout the day. And once that depletes, you need to rest as well. And so every interaction, every uh, action, every choice that you make in the game, you sort of have to make a decision of, you know, am I going to spend this die to do this labor and expend and get hungrier, not knowing if it's going to pay off? Or should I spend my time with someone who 
Um, I don't know whether I trust them when I could spend my time with someone building a different relationship. Um, but also you have these, this, this hunger and this need for this serum. So in a lot of ways, even if you don't trust someone, you might be wholly dependent on them to survive past a certain point. And so Mm -hmm. I think the game does a really good job of reminding you of your vulnerability. Um, like you're Mm -hmm. not a warrior you have a breaking down body. Um, you you just arrived at the space station. So if you don't get food here, you don't know where you're going to get it. Um, and just sort of putting you in that position of realizing, you know, how much you need other people, um, but also forging a path where you have to learn, like, who is worth investing in. It's just a really mm-hmm. cool dynamic to have baked into the game. I'll pause there uh, see if you want to say anything about the mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just add one uh, additional clarification, which is that the with the the dice mechanic and the way that interacts mm. with your it's called your condition, which is what's constantly depleting, um, and that you need to get the serum for. But as your condition depletes, it actually limits the number of dice that you have available to you each day. And because dice so directly correspond to the number of actions you're going to be able to take, um, you can very quickly start to run out of the, you you feel a pressure of not being able to do what you need to do to be able to earn enough chits or advance a relationship enough to make it lucrative for you in some way. I'm sorry, chits is the like uh, uh, currency in the game. (laughs) So that's what you have to use to buy the medicine to take. And the medicine's pretty expensive, like, (laughs) and you're going to need it every few cycles. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to decide early um, or figure out early, what am I doing that can get me chits um, quickly and consistently and reliably so that I'm not wasting all of my time just trying to earn money mm. um, and I'm able to like maintain an existence outside of just trying to earn money mm-hmm. to earn the, the serum, right? Um, because I think the game does kind of posit the, this like question to you pretty early on of like, are you trying to just eke by and survive here? Or are you trying to build a life on this space station? Mm. Um, when you first land, um, you meet a, a guy who's kind of like a salvage person who takes broken down ships and stuff and breaks them apart and resells the materials. And he points out to you that sleepers come through sometimes, but they don't stay. Like this is a transit point for most sleepers, for most people. Um, there's a huge community that lives here, but a lot of it's, it's a station, it's a way station. And so folks usually just stop and then leave and sleepers especially don't tend to stick around and sleepers already, you know, he kind of references that like, because they're not really expected to live very long mm-hmm. once they try to escape the corporation, you know, it's not really somebody that anybody wants to invest in deeply because mm-hmm. they probably won't be here a few cycles from now if they can't get what they need to subsist. Mm-hmm. So you're really kind of, you start the game in a place of really like existing on the edge of everything, <laughs> like yeah. not knowing if you're going to make it to the next day. Um, I do think though that like this, that, all of that could very easily be super overwhelming to someone coming into the game for the first time. And I wouldn't say I play a lot of games like this. um, And I don't have a lot of experience playing tabletop RPGs, but I do think, you know, I think that all of that that we're saying could easily sound kind of overwhelming to someone who hasn't played a lot of stuff, this kind of stuff. And I do think that the game does a really good job of 
slowly and steadily rolling out more for you to encounter so that it feels very, I I never felt overwhelmed playing this Mm -hmm. game, especially in those early moments. The one thing that I wish they did is that they, if I wish they had put the tutorial as a menu that option that you could just Mm. go back and read Mm -hmm. because the tutorial is really simple and straightforward, but it's like three screens that come up that explain to you how the dice work and how the different types of actions work. And then those screens go away and you don't have any ability to access Mm -hmm. them again. I actually ended up pulling up a YouTube video of someone playing the game and taking pictures (laughs) of the tutorial. And I do think like if they just had, like if you could just click on your menu and read those screens again, that would be huge. Um, Yeah. But actually being able to do this stuff, despite feeling that pressure and that pinch, I've played RPGs before where it's like, that the whole thing is that you're going to be grinding to try to eke out mm. a living. And as much as like the game sets up that that's what you're doing, I think it does give you enough space um, that if you're at least paying attention to what you need to be paying attention to, you're going to be able to, it's a more generous balance, I think, than a lot of RPGs would give you. And I personally appreciated that because I think while this game is using these TTRPG mechanics, it's not trying to be a grueling mm-hmm. TTRPG. It's trying to like tell a really good story uh, and place some of those mechanics in there to give you some limitations and some ways to interact with the world. But this is not a game where it's like, I'm going to really hone in on mastering how I use these mechanics. Right. It's that's more um, the seasoning yeah. <laughs> that they put on the meal is, and the, what the <laughs> meal is is the narrative that they're giving you. Absolutely, yeah. It's. I mean, I think something that I keep coming back to is just how blown away I am that one person, um, Gareth Martin, as as we described, um, put this game together because, like you said, it's like. Um, the mechanics aren't the main f- like function that you're engaging with in the game. It's it's like a cool way of navigating through the narrative. And with all that in place, um, this game manages to feel so much deeper in scope and um, like world building than I would have expected from uh, like an indie RPG from one developer. Like I know there's over a hundred thousand words of text in the game. Um, And just the fact that right before we started recording, like Jamie and I were kind of comparing like where we are in the story. Um, And there were story branches that I had gone down that Jamie hadn't even encountered Mm -hmm. yet. And similarly, there were paths that, that her character had gone down that were different in contrast to, to what I was currently doing, uh, even though we were interacting with similar characters and just that kind of uniqueness in story, um, from a work from one person is just mind blowing to me. Um, and so I just think that the narrative is definitely one you want to sink yourself into. It's, it's beautifully written and wonderfully immersive. Um, and it's just a really cool game one that um you know i seeing ttrpg mechanics i too kind of had pause um because i was like oh boy i don't know how good i'm gonna be at at that kind of strategy um but it's like a very approachable i would say like kind of first if you are ever interested in, in tabletop mechanics but felt overwhelmed this could be a really cool way of seeing if you might like exploring that interest further if anything i wanted 
a bit more like the each of the character designs are so rich and uh might i say adorable um just a lot of really cool details um and if anything i wanted to see more of them um a lot of the game does kind of feel like text based kind of floating over a map and interacting with different um options and then seeing that play out in the form of of text that you're reading through mm-hmm. um and i just would have loved to have even more visual interactions uh, with the locations and characters. Um, but again, if that's the only limitation of this game being built by one person, then that's something I'm absolutely fine with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with all of that. I and I think it's worth mentioning here that the the character art that you were just shouting out there is all done by a comic book artist and illustrator uh, named Guillaume Singelin. Uh, hopefully, I'm saying the last name right. Um, who's a yeah French comic book artist, and I think that really comes through. Like the actual designs of the different characters are are really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I thought you were gonna say there though, when you were talking about the TTR, like one thing that I don't think we really get in this game that you would get in a TTRPG is like we don't. I don't feel like we get to really decide who mm. our sleeper is. Yeah, in a in That's a really true. robust way. Um. I'm okay with it. I think this game is much more about like what I'm, what I'm loving narratively about this game is the quests are essentially like characters that you are getting to know deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, like most quest lines revolve around like finding a specific person, helping them and then like going really deep on them and their story and really getting to know them and the world through them and through their eyes and that all, I think that works super well. Um, but I don't really get to decide who the sleeper is. And again, we, we're not even given a name. Yeah. So it really is just a avatar, a cipher for us as the player and not someone that I think kind of exists separately from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily a problem, but I do like to often like know <laughs> who I'm playing in the game. And I don't, I don't think I really have a really strong sense of that. Mm. The The dialogue options are usually limited to like, you have kind of two options that you can respond with anytime you're given a dialogue prompt. And you can kind of color the character in that way for sure. But it's, I would say it's pretty minimal. Yeah. 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 Uh, we do need to start to wrap this conversation up. Uh, but I think like just to kind of put a fine point on it, I'm really enjoying this fucking game mm-hmm. and I kind of can't wait to get back to it. It's like, oh, do we have to take a break to record an episode? Because I want to go uh, finish playing Citizen yeah. Sleeper. I think cyberpunk is not often a like genre or setting that usually appeals to me. Mm. Um, but I think the way this game doubles down on concepts of personhood which i think are are pretty often explored in cyberpunk media but i really like the way this game does it through really in-depth portrayal of specific character journeys and arcs yeah and getting to see like how people interact with systems and and what makes a person existing in a system a person yeah what defines personhood and and of course they bring in questions of ai and sentient ai and when does a sentient ai become a person Mm. and you as a a sleeper are you just a sentient ai or are you more of a person because you're emulating a human brain and what sort of autonomy and rights should should all these things have um yeah not nothing that i would say is like completely new to the cyberpunk genre but just really well explored here and i i love the way it's done i think a lot of that does come down to that 
the line by line writing is super good. The art is super good. The music is oh, very, music very cool slaps. and chill. Yeah. <laughs> um, and kind of all of these di- different pieces come together too. I, I think it's just making a, a really, a really unique and special experience that I can't wait to finish. And I hope, I hope people go check this out. It's on game pass. Yeah. Check um, that shit out. So if you got game pass, definitely check it out. It's like um, if cowboy bebop were a Ghibli movie. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Do you have any final thoughts on Citizen Sleeper? That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We got it. That was it, folks. That was the final thought. Let's go ahead and transition over to our interview. Today, we are chatting with Courtney Terry at Sparkly Kiss on Twitter and Twitch. Courtney is a tabletop actual play performer and freelancer who specializes in social media and community management, as well as diversity consulting and sensitivity reading. We spoke with Courtney about being a bouncer for your community, how accountability and boundary setting helps create spaces where individuals can be genuine while also feeling safe, and their experience growing up with Earthbound, a game that took them a literal decade to complete. <laughs> Courtney was so much fun to speak to. Spencer and I really appreciated the insights they shared with us, and I'm sure that you all will too. So without further ado, here's our interview with Courtney, aka Sparkly Kiss. to our wonderful guest and thank you so much for joining us in the virtual pixel therapy studio to start can you share your name and your pronouns yeah hey my name is courtney terry pronouns they them um aka sparkly kiss everywhere online amazing and courtney how do you spend your time oh man um i (laughs) number one hobby is napping if i'm being Mm -hmm. completely honest um when i'm not napping i am working at a independent game studio called miscellaneum i run communications there uh when i'm not doing that i am streaming on twitch nancy drew games and wacky variety shows (laughs) um or i'm playing final fantasy 14 an embarrassing number of hours on that gosh (laughs) i cannot wait to dig more into that before we get there um what is your personal history with video games courtney yeah, so my personal history with games is uh, I think my mom got me a Super Nintendo when I was about three or four years old. She really liked the idea of uh, – she's an early helicopter parent, right? She really liked the idea of the kids staying inside the house. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Under constant surveillance. <laughs> yes, yes. My, my, my weekend activity, me and my sister, we would get taken to Blockbuster. We were allowed one movie and one game to rent of our choice. Uh, and I remember seeing Earthbound all the time. Like Mm. we had the clay fighter game. That was cool. Um, but I remember seeing Earthbound and I checked that game out every weekend for about a year or two Wow! for when they phased out the game. So they ended up giving it to me. Uh, (laughs) And I just have very distinct memories of playing that with my dad and him trying to teach me how to read so that I would quit asking him to play the first zone over and over and over and over uh, because I thought Earthbound was a terrifying game. Mm. But yeah, that's a very ingrained core memory. (laughs) 
Uh, I think it's amazing that they just gave it to you after they were taking it off the shelves. Like, Courtney, oh, yeah. you've single-handedly paid for my daughter's tuition with your <laughs> continuous renting of Earthbound. Please, it's yours. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we could have bought the game three times with all yeah. the late fees we had. Because it was the type of game that I didn't want to return and I would hide it. And my mom would find the oh, empty gosh. case and she'd be like, where is it? Oh, a mystery. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and Courtney, do you identify as a gamer? So that's an interesting one for me. I see myself as a gaming enthusiast. Uh, the word gamer is uh, a little too much of a marketing term for me. Mm. Too much of a, you know, gaming is my life. I'm the player one. You're my player two. Or baby is player three. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> I I find that culture a little bit terrifying um, because for me, it's a hobby, not so much an identity, even though you can tie your hobby and your identity get together. I just mm. think that's a little too intertwined. So I prefer like an enthusiast mm-hmm. or a fan. Courtney, you mentioned you work in communications for Miscellaneum Studios. Can you tell us more about how you got involved in the gaming industry and what your day-to-day looks like? Yeah. So um, my first involvement in the gaming industry was actually uh, tabletop and board games. Um, I got my start by going to uh, too many conventions and too many events. Um, I went to a PAX East. I met folks that worked at a board game company there and just kind of grew an accidental network over the years where I've volunteered and worked for like events themselves or different booths in the community, uh, which made me want to get more involved. So got super into social media, started doing game jams all the time. And I found my job opportunity through a retweet from some folks from Code Coven. Oh my gosh, amazing. Um, so it's just been years and years and years of building friendships that are very touch and go in event spaces mm-hmm. to, to get where I am now. And it's, it's very interesting making the jump from, uh, I used to want to do robotics mm. when I was like graduating high school. Um, and then it turned into writing cards, just spiraled from there. <laughs> so yeah, uh, kind of a surprise, kind of a, an oopsie daisy, if you will. <laughs> what is it about, tabletop gaming that scratches your itch uh so i'm really into that like tactile feel of rolling dice picking up pieces spreading out a map and sitting around a table with friends Mm. i really like that sense of community and familiarity because it's you're with your buddies you're you're building something you're kind of like coloring because we've got all those really cool maps that we've made um and it's it's a fun way to tell stories and create OCs and write without having to sit down and actually do the writing part. Mm. Um, and it's like a collaborative storytelling. Uh, Cause whenever we play games like this, we, we tend to brush aside the more complicated rules because we're here to tell stories first mm-hmm. and have fun first. Absolutely. Yeah. I love this idea of um, like writing can be such a solitary and isolated activity and it can be really hard to motivate yourself. Um, oh, yeah. And I just love this idea of it's like your storytelling, your writing, but it's like this collaborative, ever-changing, dynamic, growing thing that's like a collective effort instead of something like it could be so much greater than what you'd be able to do on your own. Yeah. Uh, when uh, I started making more friends that were spread out, we started like 
creating our own character sheets and writing our own lore backgrounds. I'm a little extra. I do Pinterest boards and everything for my characters. <laughs> but um, when we would play together, we would have like a giant Google Doc and we would write from our perspective how different events were unfolding. Mm. Um, and we always gave everyone a chance to be the main character every mm. couple of sessions so that one person didn't dominate. And it was really fun to see how some people would react to a thing and we would drop in images and reaction gifts. And I think that helped flesh out the world better because the way my characters would see things very different mm. than how others would. And it made the storytelling feel that much more rich. And mm. I wish more folks would consider that a, a writing skill or something to practice with, because it's a really good way to collaborate with folks. Mm-hmm. And it's, challenging to i mean it's like your own creativity and then you've also got to be able to sort of improvise with others to adjust to kind of on the fly be able to um you know pivot or go down a path that you hadn't considered before and i feel like if anything it's all sorts of skills that relate back to just communication with others collaboration and combined with writing like if anything, I think it should be revered as like... <laughs> yeah, it's super hard. It's really fun. Um, but you also... This all stems from having like a really good like DM and mm. a session zero, right? I, I talk with friends all the time that I know gatekeeping is like a really horrifying, terrifying word, but there is a good way to gatekeep. Mm. And you have to kind of like be a bouncer of your own boundaries and community. Mm-hmm. And that's what like session zero can be because you have to figure out what your firm knows are first before you can do like the improv. Yes. And mm. um, it's really important to establish. And I think this applies to like doing community management or being a content creator or anything. You need to figure out what isn't allowed and have some sort of code of conduct even if it's something as simple as good vibes only. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really value figuring out what is off limits first mm-hmm. and then you're able to move more authentically from there. Absolutely. And Courtney, you're a actual play performer with the dice friends campaign. Can you say more about what that looks like? Yeah. So we, some friends and I, um, predominantly Nathaniel Kiss, uh, was recruiting for a BIPOC exclusive, very queer friendly show on the Loading Ready Run platform. Um, And I was one of the people that was accepted for the casting call. None of us had ever really met before. Mm. Uh, We'd only orbited similar spaces and tabletop. And it was a really cool opportunity because Loading Ready Run recognized that they make cool stuff. They have a lot of access, but they also have a lot of white folks on their team. Mm. And this was a wonderful opportunity to put new voices on the platform, which I thought was really cool. Uh, And so my involvement was that was my very first show that I'd ever done. So I was like the rookie. Mm. Um, And I wanted to play the type of character that moved things along, (laughs) (laughs) which is, kind of a really hard thing to do in D D because everybody wants to stay in role play mm. um and i was the one that was like time to be reckless time to be brash and it was outside of my comfort zone wow um which usually i've like played the spellcaster who's in the background letting everyone else dilly dally but it was, it was fun to also explore gender in this this campaign as well so while i was like a brand new performer 
they gave me a lot of freedom to explore different aspects of myself I don't get to really do. And I got to do that with an audience and I learned a lot about myself. That's fantastic. So. <laughs> like, what do you think empowered you to, to lean into inhabiting such a different type of player role, especially being in front of an audience, which seems like it could be really intimidating? It really helped that we recorded the sessions before posting them live. <laughs> For one, um, we had an incredible session zero where I actually pitched like seven characters. Wow. Um, if I ever join a campaign with anybody, I'm going to have like five or six characters ready to go because I want to be sure that they not only complement the skills of everyone on the team, but are uh, just different enough that we don't have like, you know, three stubborn lion men or whatever mm -hmm. the heck we're going for. Um and so having some discussions, everyone in the group made me feel really safe, really comfortable. Everybody was super queer. We all had overlapping lived experiences where I just was like, fuck it, let's go. Let's lean into something that scares me. It's already mm -hmm. scary that I'm going to record something for an audience of a couple of hundred people when this goes live. I'll just, it's pre-recorded. Let's be scary. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> That's awesome. That, yeah, it was really nice. On the audience side, why do you think people love to engage with actual play performances? I think it's because they love hearing a story mm. um, and it feels like something that they could also attain and do themselves, right? Like you could also find buddies who happen to meet your schedule, sit around a table, virtual or otherwise, and come up with a world together. I, I think there's that familiarity you know because that's what we were doing we were all just playing a game we really enjoyed shooting the shit making references to stuff that we really liked and um became very quick friends while sitting around this virtual table and it's there's a lot of authenticity to it versus watching like a tv show mm. like a writer's room can collaborate and you can have overlapping identities with everyone in there and on the show but there's like there's that layer because it's acting, it's performance, which we're doing too, but we're investing our own individual selves into each character we play. And the DM, in our case, invested all of their identity into the world that they built. So I think there's it's just a lot more access to sincerity, mm. which I think people really pick up on and identify with because it mm -hmm. feels like you have a seat at the table. Mm. It's interesting the some of the things you touched on, like with tabletop role play, it is acting, it's performance, but it's also really vulnerable, genuine connection. And I'm curious, like, do you feel like it's easier to form a friend group or be in a group of different people in the context of role playing versus just trying to make friends in the IRL non-fantasy world? Like, like, it feels like there's something there where it's like some things are stripped away, but others are created that make the space so different from like all of the social anxieties and and things that might be coming up when trying to build relationships from scratch. Like uh, that kind of balance is just interesting to me. I don't know if that resonates at all. <laughs> yeah, no, that totally resonates because when you do your role playing games, you're having a shared experience of everyone is dealing with the same big bad or the same terrifying world like the way things happen in the real world can 
impact us all very heavily, but depending on our location or access and whatnot, it can make it a little bit more nebulous and hard to mm. parse and understand. But with the role-playing aspect, you pretty much all start at the exact same base, right? Um, typically, when I role-play with friends, we're not having one of us start off as a king or a queen mm. with like a wealth of riches. We all kind of have the same baseline, which kind of makes it easier to be on a united front. Mm. Um mm. And so I think that helps bridge the gap to real friendships because you're able to go through these in-game hardships, which in our case did reflect real life experiences we all had. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's easier to connect when you have these really big moments together and you're watching everything unfold together. Uh, it kind of feels like childhood friends, right? Starting at mm-hmm. level one, going to level five. It kind of feels like you're having all of those things play out in a much more rapid timeline but it's like many many memories built over a course of like a couple of months it's beautiful it's pretty neat yeah courtney you're also a png tuber on twitch um for folks who may not be familiar with the concept what is a png tuber yeah, so PNG tubers are a type of VTuber. Um, VTubers are a type of streamer that's um, not a real face. It's like a cartoon animated version of themselves. Uh, usually they're more like the 3D looking uh, characters that fully move and mm. different character voices and stuff. But I do a PNG tuber where it's a stagnant image that lights up and animates just a tiny bit just because. Uh, I'm a lot more low effort than that <laughs> personally and VTubing is expensive. Absolutely. But uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what do you think are the benefits of being a PNG tuber? For me, it gives me a an extra layer of privacy because I have really bad ADHD and it takes everything in me to mask and not show it on my face and do all the embarrassing things that I do when I'm sitting and focused on a game. So I kind of have that little layer where I don't feel obligated to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can be a little bit more candid and open because um, the hardest thing for me with streaming is I feel like I have to put myself together and like look really good yeah. um, and consistently like wear different outfits and make it seem like, you know, I'm a responsible <laughs> adult. Yeah, uh, I kind of get to be my more authentic self so uh it makes it easier for me to talk about anything and be candid and laugh and share moments of joy Mm. um because you know sometimes we get embarrassed over little things that we shouldn't be embarrassed about like the way our smile looks when we're having a good chuckle Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) so i really like being a png tuber because of that extra layer of privacy that then allows me to be more authentic in different ways that's really awesome and something you mentioned earlier um, and something that you bring to your Twitch community is that you love having conversations about, as you said, being a bouncer for your own community. And what does community accountability look like to you in the gaming and content creation space? Yeah. So accountability means recognizing that your community, even though you don't want to see them as friends and like there's parasocial layers to that, um, is being able to recognize that your community reflects who you are and what you deem as okay. Um, So accountability is 
even if you don't have moderators and you're like brand new and starting out, accountability is recognizing a behavior that is bad and taking action instead of uh, ignoring it and letting your your chat kind of cave in on itself, right? Because mm. um, if you ever stream on Twitch and you go to someone's about page, they've got all sorts of rules of things that they don't allow, but outliers to your community who don't really care about that aren't going to read all your rules right mm -hmm. the rules are not for the the biggest and the trolls who are coming in to hurt you they're for your regulars and if you're not doing anything to address the trolls that drive by attack and the community members who tow the line you're gonna welcome more bad into your space mm -hmm. it's like you allow one bigot to go to a dive bar, then he brings a friend and then he brings a friend and then out of nowhere, you've got a racist bar. Mm -hmm. You got to eject that stuff early. Mm -hmm. um, so accountability for me is your community does reflect who you are, even if you are trying to keep those like parasocial relationships distant. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So, Courtney, with streaming on Twitch, um, there are always trolls. There are always, um, you know, this parasocial relationships that can take your energy and make the work harder. What keeps you on Twitch? What makes it worthwhile to you and, and what about it nourishes you? Okay. Yeah. So what's keeping me there is honestly, I started streaming as a means to play games in my backlog that I've always wanted to play. Um, <laughs> Like the Nancy Drew games. Yeah, I, I love that. <laughs> there's, there's like over 30 of those games, and I only ever really? played 10 of them as a kid. Yeah, there's so fucking many. Um, and I use Twitch as an excuse to uh, revisit those because, you know, I played those games back when I identified as a girl, and mm. then it was icky to be a girl, and I was embarrassed, and it was mm. like, nobody look at me, girl. And now mm -hmm. I'm like, fuck it, girl stuff is cute, um, and it's fun. And I'm going to play Barbie games too. Fight me. Yes. <laughs> so that's what brought me to Twitch in the first place. And then what's keeping me around is it's allowing me to be really active and engaged with people in a way that's like COVID safe and COVID mm. conscious. Mm. Um, if I make money for groceries on the side, that's a nice little bonus. But mm -hmm. uh, it also allows me to just talk about whatever pertains to my interest in that moment. Uh, we do really goofy shit on my channel, but we also have very serious heart to hearts. Um, and like I always say, don't bring bummers or trauma dump in my chat. But mm. sometimes folks want to talk about hard subjects and we can swap into that because usually they approach it with... Uh, not like a, a shock, right? They don't enter the chat, drop like so-and-so and their family has passed away and they're miserable, but mm. they, they, they introduce it a lot slower so that we can have it pertain to whatever we're playing. Right. Cause there's a Nancy Drew game that she's very insensitive to a family who lost their mother. Mm. <laughs> Turbo insensitive. Um, and Nancy. some people in the chat, yeah, she, no cat. She was like, Hey, this article where your mom says she died. Was that really a the type <laughs> of death that it says? Nancy. Where's your it's bedside banner, so, Nancy? It's so bad. And then, like, it's also a very racially insensitive game. It's Ugh. supposed to take place in Japan, and, like, everyone's voiced by white people, and it's, oh, it's so no. embarrassing. Um, but we talk about those things on my stream, right? Mm. Because I'm like, I want to play these games, but we're going to talk about where they fucked up. Because mm -hmm, um, yeah. I think it's important to to be very critical of the things that you enjoy when mm -hmm. they make, make a mistake. Um, they actually pulled one of their games from the uh, storefront because it had blackface in it. Mm. And I was like, ooh, let's talk about that. Yes. Um, 
but then we'll turn around and have a lot of laughs because uh, I jump scare easy, <laughs> frightened so easy. A character can just go, excuse me, what for your walking <laughs> out of nowhere? And I'm like, where did you come from? <laughs> um, so I try and temper the balance because uh, that's just who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really helps that, you know, my community is very respectful of me kind of just doing whatever the heck I want mm-hmm. and remembering that it's it's my channel, my space. And we set those ground rules early and often. Mm. Um, So I get to do all kinds of fun things because of that. And then have serious talks whenever it's appropriate. It's nice. My attention span loves it. (laughs) Speaking of your taste, uh, can you tell us about Smash or Eat, one of your more recent series? (laughs) (laughs) Feels like such a deep cut. (laughs) (laughs) I will say this is one of the most embarrassing concepts I've ever come up with. Uh, (laughs) Everybody was doing Smasher Pass and it was trending everywhere to the point where even my mom knows what Smasher Pass is. Um, And when I brought it up to her, we ended up playing Smasher Pass with like her favorite celebrities. And she was like, oh, this is fun. I understand why you enjoy this. Um, But it was really popular with uh, Twitch streamers and YouTubers to do Smasher Pass with Pokemon. And I said, passing is mm. easy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's so easy to just be like, whatever, and zoom through like the 900 Pokemon there are. What if we raised the stakes, pun intended, <laughs> and talked about which Pokemon we would eat? <laughs> so <laughs> I created a little a little restaurant overlay. Oh, my God. I uh, got my little PNG tuber sitting at a table with some YouTuber assets of like wine. I've got friends that come in and we talk about which Pokemon we would smash and which ones we would eat and which ones are both, right? Because it's like who's, who's a hot snack and who's a hot dish. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's beautiful. So, uh, can you tell us uh, about a Pokemon that's particularly edible? Oh man. They're so. Some of them turned into which Pokemon would you smoke, which everyone agreed, mm. Oddish. Yes. Oddish, Oddish counts as eating because you're going to consume that. But they're like, what if we consumed it by... I might put some Bulbasaur <laughs> spores into a tea. Right? Yeah. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. I was thinking Bulbasaur more like Brussels sprouts, like frying <laughs> them up. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, the most surprising smash for us, though, was Alakazam. I ended up talking about like a whole romance novel type of scenario of Alakazam <laughs> being a caretaker first. And I was oh like, God. this is a husband. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, uh, please check out Sparkly Kiss on Twitch. <laughs> I love this idea of, as you mentioned earlier, sort of revisiting titles that maybe you uh, played as a child, um, but sort of at a point in your life where you were you know, still figuring things out identity-wise, um, maybe even becoming uncomfortable because of gendered associations that we go through as a child. And I really love this idea of sort of coming back to them as an adult, um, embracing them in a place where you know yourself so much better and can actually enjoy them without the psychic pain of figuring out that we're trans and stuff. And um, I think it can be really special to bring that to others too. And it's almost healing in a way. Does that resonate at all with you? Yeah, because uh, with the Nancy Drew stuff, um, I also was thirsty to find more Nancy Drew streamers who were mm. queer, BIPOC, or something else like I like 
that I could relate to. Um, and I actually made a ton of friends in the Nancy Drew community to the point where even her interactive noticed a thing that I did oh and promoted it on their platform. Wow. Which was super embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I didn't think they're gonna show up. Cause um I I do a variety show once a month uh where it's you two can drew it and it's all Nancy Drew people playing nice. Gartic phone um <laughs> and talking about <laughs> the relationships and the whatnot between the characters. Uh, and that's been really nice. Cause I found some other folks who uh, like Italian gamer, Joe is a friend of mine. He is a queer man in Chicago and he never played Nancy Drew because he wasn't allowed. That's not a game for boys. It's, mm-hmm. it's bad. And he's at the point where he loves these games so much. He's making his own video game, like inspired by it, which is really wow. cool. Um and then Tina Balducci is a streamer that I really love. And she's all about like being really girly now. Lots of manicures, lots of fuss. And like that's her whole aesthetic is being fussy, nasty, sexy. Um, <laughs> and because she wasn't allowed to be like that when she was younger and when she was a little girl. And mm. so she's using Nancy Drew to explore other games as well and kind of branch out and talk about mysteries and be extra feminine in a space when she wasn't allowed to be hyper feminine. Mm-hmm. And I, I found so many other Nancy Drew streamers this way. It's really exciting. That's awesome. Um, and we, we've talked a lot about what Nancy means to us mm-hmm. as, as adults now, after, after being fans of these games for like over 20 years, yeah. such a long time. <laughs> what does Nancy mean to you now? Uh, to me now, Nancy, uh, my headcanon is she is an asexual icon and I will fight that to the mm, end. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> and that uh, it's, you can be powerful without having different sorts of uh, typical things associated with power, right? Like she does come from a family with money. Um, they don't really address that in any way that is meaningful. I wish they would, Hmm. but she, she will ask questions and will do things on her own. And sometimes in her narrative, will be afraid of doing the things that we are doing. And I think it's nice when characters showcase fear in a space that is scary. Hmm. Um, There's a lot of games we play where it's like, you're walking around a, a haunted looking place. You're going into a basement and the character doesn't react or have any sort of commentary. And it's nice for, for Nancy to showcase that, you know, sometimes this is a little fucked up. Um, she also talks to her friends pretty much consistently from game to game. And uh, it's the, the in-game hint system. And I mm. love to utilize it just because I love the small talk. Mm. But it's also good because it's a way to showcase that you can rely on your friends. who You don't think would traditionally know these answers right like Bess is deemed the girl who's like boy crazy and a little bit ditzy and uh doesn't really know how to do the the hard detective thinking stuff but she still has a lot of value um and i i like the the friends filling in the gap and caring about your friends and having them help you move things forward because Bess can use her boy crazy to keep intel on everyone in town (laughs) or uh, research what's going on in fashion and help you figure out what this period piece is that you found that was stolen or whatever. And it's nice because it ties their their very niche interest into solving a case. And I don't know. It's just really cute that you can uplift your friends that way. Yeah. And I love this idea, too, of taking traditionally feminine coded traits or 
um, that are typically used to infantilize or delegitimize or be misogynist towards towards women or them people, um, like being girly, being into makeup, being sexy, being boy crazy, like all of these things are used as a way to make girlhood seem not as serious or um, that therefore, if you are those things, you can't be other things like intelligent or, you know, kick ass. Um, and I just love how what you're saying is completely turning that on its head. Yeah, they even have a couple of games where you get to play as Bess and she takes charge. And if you didn't have the ability to be her, her you wouldn't solve things because mm. she does have a lot of skills. Um, and she's aware that she is seen as like the the cutesy, more ditzy one. And she will use that to to try and help solve a case and make sure that her friends are safe. And I just think that's really nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, there's a little bit more dimension. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've been doing a bit of this already, but on this show, we love to ask people about a game or games that have influenced their life in a meaningful way. Um, we've been talking a bit about Nancy Drew. Uh, you also mentioned being a big Final Fantasy XIV player um, and also playing Earthbound, um, be that being an early core gaming memory. Um, I wanted to mention, so for folks who aren't familiar, um, Earthbound is a role-playing video game developed by Ape Inc., who actually created the first Pokemon trading card game, um, and HAL Laboratory, uh, which folks might also know they make the Kirby games. Um, and it was published by Nintendo for the Super NES in uh, 1994 in Japan and 95 in the U.S. Um, and for folks who have played Super Smash, you might recognize the main character of Ness, um, a little boy or person. I always kind of, Ness was like my first, um, I played a lot of Super Smash Brothers as a kid. And Ness was like my, uh, you know, I was a little girl once upon a time. And uh, Ness was like my one of my first gender explorations of like this little person is wearing a cap and is like I can be him in a game and no one is gonna like say anything and I can just I wish I looked like that like I just remember a lot of feelings being tied up um in that early fandom for me um but Ness and his party of four Paula Jeff and Pooh um travel the world to collect melodies from eight sanctuaries in order to defeat a universal cosmic destroyer typical jrpg i would say <laughs> um and earthbound really subverted a lot of popular rpg traditions at the time um by featuring a really modern setting um that also kind of like parodied other aspects of rpgs and didn't take itself too seriously it had a lot of humor and heart um you mentioned to us that earthbound took you 10 years to beat <laughs> Um, and also helped you realize that you were capable of big things. Um, I wonder if you could tell us more about that and your relationship with this game. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I started playing Earthbound when I was like four, going on five years old. Uh, <laughs> I did not know how to read. And um, I was doing my best. I found it very funny that you could find hamburgers out of the trash can. And I was like, that's that's a valid place for food. Yeah. Later on, that turned into me realizing like socioeconomic class mm. and like all that and going oh geez that's kind of fucked up um mm-hmm. but it took me 10 years because i remember there were different boss fights that are very key in my mind or just different areas that were way too hard for me to parse um like 
after you get your your first song at the giant step and you're leaving town, you get in trouble with the police. And that was very jarring to me as a child to be surrounded by all these police officers mm. who then like threatened to beat me. And I was like, that's not what they're supposed to do. And that was like my first exposure to police can be bad. Mm. Um, which, you know, very blessed to say that my first exposure was in this game. Right. But yeah. it's still very young age, like four or five years old to have that be a thing um and so i kept replaying the game up until that point because it was a really hard fight because they like one by one officers attack you you can't go and oh heal God. you're you're trapped it's truly terrifying yeah it's like scary for a it's kid so fucking scary or an adult. Um, yeah yeah uh some of those fights were hard up until that point but nothing was quite as jarring to me as like being arrested or mm. trying to do the right thing and then ambushed by cops. That was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took me a couple of years to get past. And then when you get to Tucson, there's the, the stuff with like the cults and the, the the trees that burst in the flames and do mortal damage to you. Those took me a few a few years to beat. Um, there's just like different stages of things that scared me and made me uncomfortable. We're just yeah. like every couple of years I could beat it. And then I would get to a point where I was like, Oh, this is really scary. Start over again. Um, like the ghost and zombies in three, they overwhelmed me start over again. I didn't get past that point in the game until I was like 10 years old. Wow. Uh, and then at that point I was like, I'm sick of this game. I'm going to play other <laughs> stuff. Final fantasy 10 came out. And then I went down that final fantasy rabbit hole. Uh, when I was 14, it was all about the dot hack series. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's go back and revisit earthbound. I'm going to beat this game. Um, got to Moonside, where it was like all the adults are betraying you. And it's like a backwards mm. world. Uh, and it made me more emotional because I finally got to meet the rest of the characters in this space who are all children who everybody doubted people mocked you. You were like ridiculed by everyone. They're like, what are you going to do? We don't care. You see a problem in the world. Well, I see a problem in front of me right now. And that's because I need a beer or like Mm. some nonsense. And it really like kind of was jarring to me because I was like, none none of these people take these kids seriously. And they have to like risk their lives and effectively harm themselves to take care of a world and a people that did not care about them Mm. um, until that role was complete. and that hit extra hard because i've been playing earthbound off and on for 10 years at that yeah. point um and so it kind of felt like i grew up with them and i got to see different stages of like things that i struggled with and was able to overcome um through their journey um and that was really really meaningful to me uh yeah what a my- coming of age story and arc yeah like i didn't realize how what kind of themes and imagery were in Earthbound. And I feel like as a child, like with over the course of 10 years, sort of the time it takes to like you experience um, the beginning of a game. And as you're getting older, you can kind of look back on that and be like, wow, that laid the foundation for what I understand about society and, and, and the culmination and uh, just the, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. There's so many sweet, goofy moments in that game, too. And like a giant pile of puke that you fight. And I know that's weird. But at the same time, it's a lot of adults either not trusting you or pretending they don't see you or being mm. disgusted by the fact that a child is present. And that really, really hit home in a, a weird way 
going through puberty, being in middle school, about to go to high school. It was, it was huge. And then, yeah, being able to beat it. And like the whole time, the way you save the game is you call your dad and your dad's very supportive of you. And he's like, I put money into your bank account. You're doing great kiddo. Do you want to go to bed? Take a break. You deserve a break. And no game I've ever played since then has like a save mechanism that tells you breaks are good and to take care of yourself. And like, basically you called your dad and he was like, I love you every time. It was so sweet. And then like Ness could get homesick, right? If you didn't check in with your mom or go home every once in a while, he would have visions of like her making him his favorite meal and being Mm. like emotionally distraught. He couldn't do an attack because he missed his dog. And Mm. like, that was really, really innovative to me. That resonated with me when I first moved out at 25. I took my sweet time moving out and I tried to replay Earthbound and it was hard because I was mm-hmm. like, I am also homesick. I'm going to call my mom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call my dad. I'm going to check in on those guys. Uh, and those are just like little different nuggets of the game that I, I think of regularly <laughs> just because yeah. it was so touching and kind of a surprise. I mean, it's interesting. It, it makes me think about how, um, you know, children are incredibly resilient and they also see and internalize so much more than we give them credit for. And I think um, for some of us, as we get older, we can forget what it was like to be a child or that, um, you know, adult conversations, adult concepts, um, they're not completely lost on children. And children have a lot of capacity and imagination and wisdom um that we disregard because they're small because they're of a certain age um and just the the combination of those moments like you said of um you know he's this badass psychic powered person and at the same time missing his dog can debilitate debilitate him to the point where he can't can't do it um it's just like as children we want to be adults we're also still kids and also the world is fucked. And sometimes the universe is indifferent and adults aren't always to be trusted and society isn't built always to take care of you. And um, like there are adult realities that you're, they're going to face sooner or later. And the fact that all of that is folded into this game um, is, is really incredible. Um, it reminds me, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, it's hard for me to think of a game that introduces a save mechanic like that, where it, sort of touches on that humanity at the core of this character. Um, but one game that comes to mind is Chicory, where um, it actually has a help function where, so Chicory was an indie game that came out last year, um, a black and white painting adventure. Um, and there's this help mechanic where you can actually call your parents if you're stuck um, and ask them for help. And your parents will say like, we're proud of you. Like, how are you doing? Uh, like, we're here for you. And I remember playing that and being like, wow, this is so touching and and unique and um like for people who um you know don't have that kind of relationship with their parents don't ever get that val- that simple validation that we all need of i love you i'm proud of you i care about you um the fact that this game is creating that feedback loop is beautiful and, and that example of what a healthy family dynamic can look like even while you're out saving the world um, is beautiful Yeah, I think about it all the time because like when you tell your dad on the phone you're done playing, he just he reminds you to hit the power button, not the (laughs) reset button for one. And then he just wants to make sure you're okay. And then the game freezes on that screen of him being like, are you okay?" And you can't do anything because you're supposed to turn it off. Mm. And I think that is 
probably not intended to be as powerful as it was, but it is a, a very core memory. Mm. <laughs> like I made sure to call, called the the mom and dad every time I got to a free phone and every once in a while you were stuck with a pay phone. And I was like, it's worth it to call your parents. <laughs> if it costs a dollar, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just a few minutes left together. I want to make sure we touch on Final Fantasy XIV, um, which is another game that means a lot to you. Um, and so for folks who aren't familiar, um, FF14 is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game from Square Enix. Um, it was originally developed for Microsoft Windows in 2010, um, and the initial game was actually a critical and commercial failure. Um, but the game was revamped and re-released in 2013, and it's now the most successful Final Fantasy game to date, with its most recent expansion pack, Endwalker, uh, which was released in December 2021. Um, and Courtney, you mentioned to us that um, you started playing 14 after starting a job at a really unpleasant place. Um, you got in really deep during the pandemic, um, and it was a place where you were building community and got over um, some of your shyness and started making friends that you're super close to now. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us more about what this game means to you and how that relationship with it grew. Yeah. So I started playing Final Fantasy in 2019. I worked a really terrible desk job that uh, was disrespectful in every sense of the way. Nice. Um, and I wanted to play something that my friends have been talking about kind of obsessively online. And I was like, you know what? I make too much money at this stupid office job. I'm going to play this <laughs> this game that requires a subscription, which like, I hate. I hate doing that. I, yeah. I don't need another monthly fee. But um, <laughs> I treated Final Fantasy XIV as a single player game that happened to have other people in it mm -hmm. um, until uh, early 2020, <laughs> where everything changed. Mm -hmm. um, and because it was like a the final fantasy 14 was like the last the newest mmo i played the last one i played before that was maple story so it was like mm. the way the game played was completely different i never played it on a console before i was like how how in the hell do you do all these buttons this way i didn't really want to communicate because sometimes uh communication on final fantasy is really gross if you were in mm. literally the the wrong spot like i didn't know where the the thirsty role players were oh, for God. a while until like <laughs> Yeah, I had to learn that from someone. <laughs> and I decided to start being more conversational because I wanted to be good at the game. And I had such a deep fear of being bad at it mm. that I went and bought a keyboard. And every time I would load into a dungeon, I'd be like, hey, I'm new at this. I'm I'm real goofy. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, please give me grace. And people were like, yeah, no problem. No worries. Mm. You're fine. Um, and every time I made a mistake, uh, couldn't help it. I would apologize. <laughs> I would just be so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. um, and then after a while, I started meeting people that are like, I am also embarrassed and a bit of an idiot who doesn't know which button does what thing. I haven't played this game in months. I'm coming back from a break. And I was like, sweet, a fellow rookie. Mm. Um, I cherished my my little sprout icon, which was an indicator of like newness in the game. Because <laughs> uh, at first I was embarrassed, but after a while it was nice because, you know, every time I would enter a dungeon, I'd be like, heads up. I'm a little sleepy. I don't know what's going on. I've never played tank before. And, and people would give me gentle coaching wow. uh, to the point where it made it easier to just talk to anybody using shouts, looking for friends, asking for help, uh, really threw myself into learning how to play the game. Um, and then there was a Valentine's Day event, which 
was uh, kind of forced you to play alongside another person through a maze and you had to communicate. Mm. And and if you didn't communicate, you fail and you wouldn't get the rewards you wanted. And that's where I met my very best friend in the game. Wow. Um, because we had such a nice time. And I was like, do you want to role play being in love? Because it's <laughs> Valentine's. And we took a bunch of photos together at the end. And we goofed and made a lot of jokes. And like talked about what it felt like to be the type of characters that we were. Because I play a... A, a feminine row i always say the name wrong i just fem row the really tall butch ladies and mm. i have my character as brown skin which is a rarity on my server mm. usually they're always green um mm. and so we talked to there there's so many conversations to have okay. about that <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> i yeah yeah so many combos but i made a friend there and he introduced me to his FC. I was in an FC for a community of uh, folks that listen to a podcast channel that I, I like, but they're not very active. And so they kind of rolled me into their raid group, uh, started exploring other content. And next thing I knew, I was in over 20 different servers for wow. Final Fantasy 14 on Discord when before it was two. Um <laughs> And I started getting invited to a bunch of events and like little mini games and giveaways and raffles and like always being included. And everybody was very cool and understanding to the point where I became a mentor in the game. And I still enter dungeons going, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm (laughs) flailing. That's how this game is. Uh, And it's been like that ever since. Like I had people help me buy a house in the game. That was cool. Fantastic. yeah, I have a I have a whole squad, and now they all want to start playing stuff like Nancy Drew and streaming because I do it so much. Uh, so now there's like overlap there. It's really cute. I love that you can collectively help someone buy a house in Final Fantasy. I don't know. It's just beautiful the way. It's they- so cute. It's so cute. <laughs> One of my friends hired to have me decorate because I just was like, I want to play Animal Crossing, but like not. Yeah, it's so charming. <laughs> Like you can have apartments and like the, the all we do is dress up and coordinate our outfits together and it's so charming. Amazing. <laughs> Courtney, where can folks follow you, uh watch your work, uh keep up with what you're doing online? Yeah, so uh anywhere you see the username Sparklykiss, S P A R K L Y K I S S, uh most likely me. Um Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, everywhere. That's that's me. That's my shitty translation of Pikachu that I came up with. When oh my I was gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Amazing. <you know? laughs> um, but yeah, I'm online too much. <laughs> but if you find you'll you'll find me in those places. Amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Courtney, thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. It's been an absolute joy. Yeah, no, this has been great. <laughs> I only hope I was only 10% embarrassing. I hope to become everyone's uh, third favorite Nancy Drew streamer. You know, don't want to aim too high. And if I'm number one, that's too parasocial, right? These, these are the jokes that I make on every social platform. Apologies. I know they're terrible. <laughs> is up for today's session of pixel therapy thank you for tuning in and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own if you want more pixel therapy come check us out at patreon.com slash pixel therapy pod where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just two dollars a month plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly 
you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, you can show your support for free by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following us on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we do appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythoughpodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they're building around pop culture news, reviews, and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. Shout out to Courtney for plugging www.blackgamedevs.com. In their words, here they are, hire them, buy their stuff. Uh, essentially, blackgamedevs.com is a really cool list of tons of Black developers, uh, specifically game devs, um, their locations, their areas of expertise, portfolio links, and so much more. Check it out. Recruit a Black Game Dev. Add your name to the list. That's again, blackgamedevs.com. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. Therapy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.